So the passage is 1 Peter 1 verses 1 to 9, which can be found on page 1217 in the Red Bibles. That's page 1217. 1 Peter chapter 1, um, reading verses 1 to 9. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles, scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Thanks, Steve, for praying, and Connie for reading. Um, do keep that passage open in front of you as we, as we look through it, particularly verses 6 to 9. Um, the Christian life is no escape from difficulties. Uh, you know that. You can think of the teenager maybe being made fun of at school for being a Christian. Or I think of my friend Tom, uh, my Christian friend Tom, same-sex attracted, but knowing the Bible's clear about relationships and marriage and sex. And so for him, that meant the long obedience of saying no to a genuinely felt desire. And you've not met him, but you can imagine, you, you know that that long obedience will have taken place around other people telling him he's just got it wrong. Why would you even bother with those kind of things? Or I think of the family I knew in a previous church Uh, Parents getting the phone call that no parent ever wants to hear their young adult son seriously injured at work. And after a few days in hospital with many people praying, he died. Now, the Christian life can produce particular grief and loss. Not that other people don't feel those kind of things, but for the Christian, it adds a level of complexity. Simply at times because you are a Christian from insults because of your beliefs. Uh, to the, the times you feel out of step with the morality around you, uh, to the crisis of faith that says, well, if God is real and he's loving and kind, why would he let something like this happen to us? Surely it could have been avoided. And Peter's aware of that, and that's why he writes as he does in verse 6, if you've got it there in front of you, where he says, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Ben and Karis have mentioned some of that even this morning. You'll know some of that grief and loss too to a, a lesser or greater extent. 
And yet, in 1520, Martin Luther, the the German reformer, wrote to Pope Leo on the freedom of the Christian. And he was outlining in part the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says this, I will therefore give myself as a sort of Christ to my neighbor, as Christ has given himself to me, and will do nothing in this life except what I see will be advantageous and wholesome for my neighbor, since by faith I abound I abound in all good things in Christ. Now Martin Luther, if you know anything about him, he he knew grief and loss too. And yet he's saying the gospel can bring you to the point that even with heartache, you remain convinced. You abound. You're rich. And so you want to live serving Jesus and giving to others. And Peter would agree. You think at times, how is that possible? How is it possible to begin to think and live that kind of way? And if you, want to, if you want to kind of get into this, maybe start with this question. Who are you? Who are you and where are you going? Where, where is life going? Uh, the way you answer will shape how you respond to difficulties. And let me in a, a kind of over, oversimplified way suggest three ways that people answer with relation to God. And the first one is just look, there's no God. Uh, that's how life kind of pans out. We're born into a random universe. We're heading to a grave. Nothing more, nothing beyond, nothing. And so the approach to the stuff in between, it becomes something like this. Look, get as much satisfaction now. Avoid anything that undermines that quest for satisfaction. A job's not fulfilling, change it. A spouse who's frustrating, change them. An opportunity to get more, take it. Because it's all... It's all about now. Look, I'm, I'm oversimplifying, but you get what I'm saying about in terms of this kind of thinking. A second way to think about life would be kind of a, a, a kind of vague spirituality. Uh, there's some kind of benevolent God. I, I'm not an atheist. I think there might be something out there. Some kind of benevolent God who stands behind the universe and behind our lives. And there's a vague hope of heaven, maybe, of a life to come. So the approach to the stuff in between is, well... Look, I believe in a generally loving God. And if God's loving, he's there to help you find the good life. So trials are frustrating. So ask God to remove them. But if that doesn't happen, well, it often produces doubt in God's goodness, in his care, even in his existence. And then there's Christian faith. The kind that you'll come across if you begin to read the Bible. We've got the next slide, Ben. Is that? Thank you. Um, the kind that you'll come across in the Bible, and it says, it says something different about us. It says we are people who've been, who've been made in the image of and for a relationship with God. Yet because of sin, we are fallen very far, and we live in a sin-spoiled world which produces all sorts of grief and suffering. We deserve nothing from God. But God has a planned future that he's decided to save people f- for. And we, we saw that from Peter last week, verse 4. In the reading we've just had, he described that future life as an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. He's, he's describing a life to come in terms of eternal riches. How do you get in on it? What do you have to do? Uh, We heard uh, last week 
It's not about what we do. Rather, it's about what Jesus Christ has done. Verse 3 in the reading we've just had again, but we looked at it last week. God has given us new birth into a living hope through Jesus Christ, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's long story short. Jesus died for our sin. Takes the punishment for the things that we've done wrong. And yet was raised again to new life. Walked out of the tomb and is able to give new life. It's all through him. You ask Peter, how do you get hold of it, Peter? How do you get hold of this? And how do you keep hold of it? Well, that was verse 5 where he says, who through faith, through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed. It's not by what you do, it's through trusting this Jesus, through faith in him. If you're a Christian, and the Bible says this is who you are, and this is what you're heading to, someone fallen and far from God, but he's come with great grace and through Jesus has done what we couldn't do, And he's bringing you one day to a life he's described as having eternal riches and inheritance. Martin Luther might say, by faith, I abound in all good things in Christ. So if you get that thinking into your head, you begin to ask, how how should it make us respond in the in-between time? How should it make us respond to difficult things? Now, Peter Peter doesn't tell us everything in these verses 6 to 9 that you've got open in front of you, but here's two starters. If you want to think this through, one one is a perspective to remember, and the other is an encouragement to hold on to. Here's the first thing. Here's the perspective, and it's this. Look, faith in Jesus is the most precious thing you can have. Have a look at verse 7 with me. Peter writes this, these, he's talking about the trials, these trials have come so that the, the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Uh, Peter compares, he compares Christian faith with gold, and you, you might think, I'm not that fussed about gold, I don't, I don't have that much of it, I don't have much gold, this is This is all the gold I have. And it's not my original wedding ring. I lost that. This one came from Tesco and cost 18 pounds. Um, I I suspect it's not pure gold, but that's my wedding ring. That's the extent of my gold. Look, you you might think, I I don't do gold, but don't misunderstand, Peter. You you understand, we, we do finances differently. In Peter's day, refined gold, I guess, was kind of the closest you could get to something that is just pure, reliable value. If you've got this, you've got capital. You can look after yourself. You can achieve your goals. You know what he's saying? He's saying to his readers, look, what are the things you look to and think, that's the means to what I need now. That's the means for the future I'm after. What is it? Property in Cambridge. Forget that. The smart pension plan. Is the right degree that guarantees the future you're after. For my boys, it's probably just a spur season ticket that they're not going to get. But for them, that might be gold dust. If we've got that, the year ahead is, is sorted. What's the best thing we could hope for, Harry? 
as he grows. Or you might think about the, the Myers, for, for whom we're going to have the, the commissioning prayer in a little while as we send them off. Maybe you think for them it's to be in Ethiopia, getting there at last. That will be the thing that secures the good life. What is it for you? What do you look to? What's the thing that has value for you? And whatever it is, Peter's saying the trouble with those things is they've got a use-by date. They've got a use-before date. We live in a world, Peter doesn't duck out of that, we, we live in a world where there are griefs and trials and everyone is looking for a way to handle them, to explain them, to minimize them as much as they can. But Peter's saying all those things, they won't fix the problem. See, whatever you look to in this life, thinking it has value enough to give you what you need to help avoid grief and trial, know that it has a use-by date. That's what Peter's saying in verse 7 when he, he reminds us even pure gold will perish. And you know long before it does, you and I will. We won't last. I don't know if you picked up. You picked up in the new fad that's going around the internet. There's always, there's always something, isn't there? There's a new one going around apparently, 80 million users, Face App. Have you come across this? It, apparently you load up a picture of your face and it will show you what you're going to look like when you're older. Why do people do that kind of stuff? Some people are obsessed with it, don't they? Oh, I let, here's another picture of myself. Ice bucket challenge, the no makeup one. Now it's face app. Why do people do it? I think probably it's a bit of fun, isn't it? But I wonder also if it's because we're obsessed with these questions. Who am I? Where am I going? What have I got left? What's going to happen to me? Here's Face App's prediction about me. There we go. I thought I'll take that. I look like I've still got some teeth, and that's. <laughs> but, but this is what it's saying, isn't it? That's this is all you've got to look forward to. Left to myself, I've got used by date. But Peter is saying to his readers, and he's saying it to you and me: God has, God has an eternal gift that He's making. He will forgive the sin that separates you from him and bring you to the fullest, richest life imaginable and it lasts forever. Gold's value, or whatever it is, gold's value really is what it gives you access to, what you can get with it. Have enough. Have enough of it, of that money stuff, and you'll have access to most things in this life. But that's it. That's as far as it goes. This life. But one day it won't be the value of the pound that drops. It will be you. Out of this world eternally. And on that day what will be there for you? There can be. So the reason. So the reason faith is more precious is because it gives you and I access, not just to something, but to someone who is eternal. Jesus Christ. 
And he has promised graciously to keep you and give you an eternal inheritance. So whatever loss you face in this life, and they will bring grief, if you know him, in the relative scale of things, it will be short term. Now that means, the Christian life now, it will always involve attention. There is a now and a not yet to the way you have to live and think. We, we've seen it even in our a baptism service this morning. Have you noticed that? Our lives, they often start with the joy of our birth and the end with the sadness by graveside. The Christian life, it, it begins with a reminder about a death, someone else's death on our behalf. But it says the end. Well, the end, there is no end. It goes on into eternal life. And we live with the tension of both those things. There can be loss now, grief now, suffering now. We'll shed tears now, and we should expect them now. But there is a not yet of a greater order that gives a different perspective on life now because we know Jesus Christ has been raised. We know there's a life beyond this one. And if you have faith in Jesus, you have taken hold of that life. So here's the perspective. Remember, faith in Jesus, whatever else you have, faith in Jesus is the most precious thing. That's the perspective, just to hold on to. Here's the encouragement, and it's this from these verses. God even uses suffering to prove and encourage real faith. Uh, we took a boy to a museum. We, we do that from time to time. You, you know what it's like when you go to a museum? On the way out, there's always a gift shop filled with all sorts of junk. And one of our boys saw crystals on display. And they picked up a particularly shiny one. And he turned to me and said, Is this real gold? Price tag, 95 pence. <laughs> they thought they'd just landed the jackpot. And I said, No, it's called... Fool's gold. Uh, the geologists, among, geologists amongst you will know the, the real name. But I said it's called Fool's gold. Sun, moments pause for thought. Yes, but is it real, Fool's gold? <laughs> well, that's a good question. I had to concede. Yes, it is real, Fool's gold. The purchase was made. <laughs> and it remains, it remains in his treasure box. And you think, look, if, if faith in Jesus is the most valuable thing you could have, your children could have, your friends could have, the last thing that you want to discover is you've been treasuring the equivalent of a kind of fool's gold for faith. Jesus, in Matthew's gospel, he says what I think are just about the most terrifying words in the whole of the Bible. He's speaking to people and he says, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And you read those words and you feel the gut-wrenching picture of people who claim faith in Jesus with wonderful religious performance, being told it wasn't genuine. It's fool's faith. And it won't gain them anything. No, I think when you hear those words, you realize you want to know, don't you? You want to know if faith's real. You want to know if you've got it. You want to know if it's genuine. Husbands, you want to make sure it's not just your wife whose faith's real. 
teenagers, you want to make sure it's not just your parents who've got real faith. You want to make sure you've got the genuine article as well. And you read these words from Peter and you realize God wants you to know. He wants you to know it's real. He's not trying to keep you away from it. Verse 7, again. These trials, these trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed, though you've not seen him. You love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. There's genuine questions to be asked, isn't there, about suffering? Does God cause it? Peter's not going into that in detail here, but I guess what he is saying is that in some way, without doing evil himself, God never does evil. Without doing evil, no God is sovereign in all things and can turn even suffering into a purposeful means to help his children. See, how do you know How do you know if you've started to put genuine faith in Jesus and what he's done? And Peter says genuine faith will will always show itself when it's challenged, when it's under pressure. And these verses are saying to, to you and me, to any Christian, he's saying, look, God uses trials that will not last forever to assure you you've got something that can never be taken away. In the life of the Christian, God uses trials that will not last forever to assure you you've got something that can never be taken away. When, when the Christian life is hard and you continue to say, Lord Jesus, help me in the long obedience. Help me in the long obedience. When people at school have a goal for you being a Christian and you still show up on Sundays and you genuinely sing praises to God, Peter would say in those moments, verse 8, he would say to you, look, look, though you've not seen him, you do love him. He'd say to you in verse 6, look, in all this you greatly rejoice. Look, look what's going on in your life. Look what's coming out. You love Jesus. You treasure what he's done for you. You look to the cross and the forgiveness he's got. And that's the thing that captures your, your affections and your love. Him. Even when it's hard. And Peter says, look, when you see that, where does that weird living come from? And he says it's verse 9. He says, look, you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls, the what faith leads you to this inheritance you're beginning to receive it now this new life in God that's what it looks like you trust him even when it's hard be encouraged and I think that means for us look the Christian life will always feel countercultural in some way the, the family I knew in Sheffield who lost a son and as a parent stories like that make me tremble A few years later, I I know them, a few years later, a man in our church was moving uh, to the north of Scotland from the church in Sheffield to help revitalize a church up there. And he asked if anyone wanted to join the team, move from Sheffield, Sheffield to Burghead. Let me give you an idea of that. It's a long way away. 
And you've got to go on the, well, no, they didn't have to go on the A14, so they're all right, weren't they? So you get there a bit quicker, but it's, it's a long way away, the north of Scotland. And this couple were one of the first who signed up to go. They moved from Sheffield, left friends, left the church they loved to serve Jesus. And you hear things like that, and you ask, how do you do that? How do you keep giving? How can you keep giving when life seems constantly to be taking away, a son taken away? How do you keep giving when, when life seems constantly to be taken away? Surely you'll eventually run out of stuff. Surely you'll eventually run out of resources to give. And that you'll never do it. You'll never do it if you think this life is all there is. Because that's all you've got to play with. That's all the resources you've got. You'll never do it if all you've got is a vague kind of spirituality because you won't feel confident enough about it. But if you know and trust Jesus and you're beginning to understand the eternal life he's offering and you possess him by faith, well then you'll know you abound in riches through him. That you have access into unlimited resources and wealth through the Lord Jesus who loves you. And you'll have resources to love and serve him with. Whether it's in Scotland, whether it's over 5,000 miles away in Ethiopia as the Mars are heading to, or whether it's just here in Cambridge and the challenges the Lord brings before you. Be encouraged by genuine faith when you see it in yourself and keep encouraging genuine faith in the Lord Jesus. Amen.